the morning. Ah, the Word of God is so uh, so beautiful. You know, I, I turned to Genesis chapter 13 today, and you know, I guess at first in reading it, I was kind of like, well, it's probably not the most significant chapter. You know, what, what do I have to say? What does the Lord have to, to say through this chapter? And the more that I pondered it and thought about it, I'm like, wow, there's some really interesting things taking place. So you might recall that Abram was in the land of Ur towards Iraq, and he was called to go to the promised land in what would be called Israel, the land of Canaan. And when he went there, there was a drought, so he went down to Egypt. Uh, at this point, uh, Abraham, even through his time in Egypt, became very wealthy, uh, and he left Egypt and now returned back to where he had crossed back before into uh, what would become Israel. And he's with Lot, uh, his nephew, and now they're in the land of Israel. But they have large herds. Again, Abram's very rich, and there's some division that's taking place between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen as a result of, uh, you know, just not enough space for all their herds. And Abram really had a lot of wisdom. Um, and before I even go further, in verse 4, when they came back to Israel, to the place of the altar, which he had made there formerly when he had passed through earlier, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And you can see, despite you know Abram's sin earlier and lying to the Pharaoh in Egypt, there's a heart of God inside Abram. And it's interesting when you think about like the people that God has chosen, although they all had problems with sin, like a guy like the name of David, but you know, he was a man after God's own heart. And you know, if you think of uh Mary and Joseph when God chose them to be, you know, the family that would bring forth Jesus, you know, they were they were notable in following the law of the Lord and just being faithful people. And it, it, it's just neat to see that God calls on people that, that call on him. And uh, may we be that kind of people that call on the name of the Lord. But anyways, Lot and Abram now are having this division, and Abram handles it well. Uh, you know, and I think the Lord was with him. He said, please let, verse 8, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If it to the left, then I will go to the right. If it to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. Apparently this land was looking really rich at the time, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. So Lot shows for himself the valley of the Jordan. Now, that is more on the east end of what would be Israel. And in fact, you see the name Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm sure that brings something to memory for you. Those are actually cities on the east side of the Dead Sea that would not be in the land of Israel at this time. They, that would be in the country known as Jordan, which is to the east of Israel. But at that time, before what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah later, apparently that valley was well watered with the Jordan River going through. So Lot's like, well, I'm going to choose that. But listen, 
um, to what it says in verse 13. So Lot goes there. Now it says, The men of Sodom were wicked <clears throat> exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. And we're not going to get into what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah until uh, a number of chapters, four chapters or so from now. But it's already known that these people in Sodom were wicked and exceedingly sinners. And isn't it interesting to think about Lot choosing where he's going to live, where he's going to take his people. And he sees a land that he sees as prosperous, but yet despite the prosperity of the land, so to speak, there is he's going near or into wickedness. And despite that he's going near or into wickedness, he chooses to go anyways because of the land. And I think there's really something to this that, you know, in life, we have a lot of decisions to make. Uh, you know, one of them that comes to mind right now is like college kids, as an example. You know, you leave high school and now you're going to go to college and you're thinking about, well, where am I going to go? And you want to go, maybe you start thinking of a place that can help you be prosperous, somewhere where you know, your education is going to give you a leg up on your competition and the job market later. And so there you go ahead and you choose a college based on that. But yet, a lot of times we're choosing a college, but then we're going into a place of wickedness. We're going into a place that doesn't have our values, doesn't believe what we believe. I mean, most major campuses in our country are very liberal um, are not places that promote Christianity. In fact, promote the opposite. And a lot of young people are pulled away from the Lord when they go to college as a result of you know, going to a place that might make them more prosperous, but yet going into a place that brings in wickedness. And uh, what a sad thing that is. And I think, you know, in all of our decisions that we make, like for instance, now turn to adults, you know, we maybe make a choice about where we're going to work or what job we're going to take. But a lot of times we might choose a place and maybe, maybe there's more money involved, but yet the environment's one that stifles Christianity. I, I heard a, someone speaking about something like this and they're like, you know what, if you have to put a costume on when you go to work, meaning if you can't be who you are, you literally have to be somebody else because of the environment of that workplace. What a shame that is. And, you know, it would be great if we could not have to put a costume on and be who we are wherever we go. And, you know, that's challenging because we live in this world right now that really is suppressing uh, things of faith. Now, you know, the Bible talks about being in the world and not of it. So, you know, is it that we're supposed to be on our own little Christian bubble everywhere we go and not interjecting into the world? Um, no, that's not necessarily the case. But I think we have to know that if we're going into the, the lion's den, so to speak, if we're going to be in an environment that's not going to help us in our faith, we have to be careful, one, of doing that. Number two, we have to be prepared for that. So as an example, like back to the college situation, that a lot of times pulls our children away from their faith. There are places to connect, even in a 
secular college. There are great ministries on most of these campuses. There are campus churches that are meeting or churches that might cater to uh, you know, college students. And if you know that you're going to a place in general that doesn't promote your faith, if you're strategic about it, if, you're, if you know that you're going into the lion's den, you can find ways to get the support you need to be able to survive and thrive as a Christian if you know what you're going into. And, you know, I've seen this in my own family. You know, my, my children have uh, all gone to college. Um, I had one that went to the University of Missouri, and I, I think although it really helped in the career choice, it definitely, even though they got connected to a Christian church, definitely the, the liberality of the university, the liberality of um, the education field of choice, I think, had an impact. I had another uh, child go to Missouri State, and although that would be, again, a state school and secular in their beliefs as a school, uh, that that child got very involved in Christian ministry and very involved in church, and their faith survived and thrived even in that environment. And then I, now I have another one going to a, a Christian school, a Bible school, out Lancaster Bible College out in Pennsylvania, and that seems to be a great fit for that student. But anyways, um, I think we have to realize the choices that we're making and either make choices that are going to further our faith, or if we're in a situation that's not going to be conducive, we have to really be strong in our own Christian practices and connections so that we can overcome the worldly influence that's around us. And indeed, this situation isn't going to turn out real well for Lot. You know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, it seems to make a difference even where we live today. Like, if you look at, like, what happened with COVID, uh, a number of years ago, you know, if if you lived in a uh, conservative county, you had a lot of freedom uh, during the time of COVID. If you lived in a liberal county, you were going to be locked up more and have to wear masks wherever you went. So there's decisions about where we live and how, and who we associate, and it can significantly impact our lives, and it, it did so here. But the other thing that I want to mention is that, you know, Abram let Lot choose. And Lot chose an area largely outside of what was Israel. And you might remember that Abram was promised the land of Israel. So now in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Now, we don't really even learn about all the barrenness of Abram and Sarah, but they don't have, you know, children directly from their womb at this point. And God is promising them this, these descendants, um, you know, a multitude of descendants. And again, here we have Abraham getting promised the land in Genesis 13. Now, we talked about that last time in Genesis 12. You might want to turn back to that regarding, you know, Abraham's family became Israel, and Abram was promised, and Israel was promised this land. And again, that's still what they're fighting over today. Verse 17, 
Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. I mean, God just keeps telling him that this this Abram's family is going to get this land. Verse 18, Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So there again, Abram's beginning to worship God and seek God, thank him for the land, honor him by building an altar of prayer to the Lord. Uh, God knew what he was doing when he picked Abram. Abram did a lot right. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's teaching, and we'll see you again soon in Genesis 14.